Welcome to Darkwater Podcast. You've got Brett here, welcoming you to a very special episode we weren't expecting. So originally, Nick and I planned to release a final Q&A episode for season one, with answers to listener questions, some case updates, and a new interview with a close friend of Megan Oxendine, a woman, mother, friend, and victim whom we've discussed a lot on the podcast. This anonymous friend of Megan's has been conducting their own, I guess you'd call it a citizen's investigation, into the deaths and disappearances that have occurred in Lumberton's notorious East Side, known for violence, sex work, and rampant addiction. Well, the interview was so extensive and thought-provoking, containing so many revelations, that we decided to release the conversation in long form, overall uncut, as its own special bonus episode. While we received a lot of local info and tips, and we're always seeking more, and we definitely appreciate them, this particular interview really breathes new life into how we perceive the crimes and ensuing investigation. Some names will be censored to protect the identity of our anonymous source, as well as the integrity of the investigation, but I promise that will make the content no less startling. If you've been listening all along, this interview will leave you in awe of the claims made and questions raised when it comes to what's happening in Lumberton, North Carolina. At least that's how I felt when I finished the interview. You'll get some possible answers we've been seeking throughout the duration of the podcast. And just as a reminder, Megan Oxendine was the woman who gave a TV interview to a Raleigh news station in April 2017, the day after Kristen Bennett and Rhonda Jones were found dead in East Lumberton within and outside of a vacant blue home. Kristen was nude in a gray blanket tucked inside a TV cabinet, while Rhonda was outside, nude upside down in a city trash can. Megan was attacked after the interview and her attackers cut her hair. She later fled from Lumberton police for unknown reasons when discussing the attack or her knowledge of the previous deaths, we're not sure which. Soon after, she was also found dead blocks from where Kristen and Rhonda were found, also just blocks from the Lumberton Police Department. Here's the interview containing ominous connections between Megan's death and the other women, alleged corruption in Robinson County law enforcement, and some potential new leads that have been ringing in my mind ever since I finished speaking with this friend of Megan's. Enjoy and keep listening afterward for a quick summary of what we've learned from the interview. Hello. Hey, is this me? Yes, this is me. Hey, it's Brett. Hey, how you doing? Pretty good. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Awesome. Well, uh, I really appreciate you giving your time to the podcast. I know it means a lot to both Nick and I. So if it's all right with you, we can get started with some of those questions I sent you earlier. I mean, I'm just like, my thing is, I'm just trying to see exactly. I don't want to say something in the end. You know, you post it somewhere and all these people see it and then they know that I said it. Somebody come in and try to kill me. (laughs) No, I understand completely. Again, it means a lot to us that you're even willing to speak with us. I mean, I just don't really want to be identified not by my name. Okay. That being said, uh, is there anything you do want to tell us about how you know Megan or what you want to say about her as a person? Um, I met Megan, oh, we were like four years old, five years old, going into pre-K. And we went to school all of our life together. We lived in the same community. We were best friends. We stayed with each other on the weekends. Um, if we couldn't stay with each other, we would go to like the skate ring or something together. So you guys were pretty, uh, pretty thick going all the way back, right? Yes, yeah, like our whole childhood, 
teenage years, early adult years, like our whole lives were just been, we were more like sisters than anything. Okay, so like family, essentially. Right. Yeah. Um, so obviously you have a pretty strong connection to her then. Uh, you know, I, I personally, I feel like there's been a lot of ways she's been framed in the media that aren't really fair to her as a person. So, you know, is there anything that has been lost in the media coverage of this that you want people to know about Megan or the type of person she was? Like, really and truly, Megan, she was smart. She was so smart. She could have really been anything she wanted to be. Um, she wanted to be like a veterinarian. She loved animals. And um, she just got like, mixed up with the wrong crowd, you know, made a few bad decisions that took her down a lot of roads that she didn't really want to go down. And some people don't understand, you know, when people be on drugs that they don't, they're not their self. They don't be thinking like their self. I'm a drug substance abuse counselor. So I understood where she was coming from, you know, from her childhood. Like, there was a lot of things that went on that she just had problems coping with, you know. Oh, wow. So, so you know firsthand with your job as well. Right. Okay. And... She was just like a really smart and beautiful girl. Like, really, she could have been anything, you know, that she wanted to be. And I think some people, they don't even look at that part. Or, you know, they look at where her mama has her kid. Well, Megan put her there because she wanted her kid to be taken care of. She knew that her mama could, you know, take care of that child, and she would never have to go without. So where a lot of people put her down as a mother, you know, for not having her child every day, you know, she done that because she was a good mother because she didn't want her child to be around all those men or walking down the street and being hungry and going without because that's what would have happened, you know. Well, yeah, so it, it seems like people would rather focus on the negative than acknowledge the hard decisions she made for her child and and what she was up against. Uh, like that little, that baby, like, she don't even have a daddy. Like, her daddy don't have anything to do with her, so her mom is really all she had anyway. And, like, Megan, she might have not have been there every day for her child, but she was there every holiday. She was there, you know, she would pop up on her just to see her baby, you know, it ain't like she just dropped her off and never came back. Yeah. She was there, like, when when she was sober, she was there. But when she was, you know, on drugs, of course, she wouldn't be wanting to be around her child. She was off having a good time in her eyes. Yeah, you um, know, and I, I learned the same about Rhonda a little bit. While she was gone at times, she really cared about her children. So it's, you know, it's unfortunate that they've been painted that way as, you know, just abandoning uh, their kids or something like that when they were very much involved, like you said. Right. And I guess I'm talking more about the community more more than like the media. Yeah, okay. But, but as far as like media-wise, I, I just think that, that that they painted them as prostitutes and that's all they were. But they were they were somebody's sister, somebody's mother. Like I said a thousand times before, they were human beings yeah. that had a problem, but that didn't give no right and nobody to take their lives away. Who's to say that they wouldn't ever get their lives straight, you know? Yeah. But now we never know because they took their lives away from them. If them girls had done something wrong, you know, maybe they should have went to the police. Or maybe if it was about drugs. I mean, there was other ways to go about it. They did not have to take their life away from you. Definitely, yeah. So it's, you know, it, it seems like they catch it from both ends in the sense that, you know, they 
like you said, painted as only prostitutes by the media and then people in the community just keep perpetuating that uh, negative perception. And, and then they, they say that to the media, to the community, hey, they were prostitutes. That's why that happened to them. But our children are still walking these streets out here. You don't understand that they're still a murderer walking around the streets. Are you not scared of your children's life? Are you not, you think just because you're a prostitute, it won't happen to you? I mean, I don't understand why even like our small community, I don't know why they're not making more of a deal of it. Because it's like, oh, just cause, well, that's just, they were prostitutes. So that's not going to happen to me. You know, and then turn around and them two girls got shot up there at Family Dollar. Nobody really couldn't say nothing because they weren't, they weren't prostitutes. That was the first thing everybody in the community thought when those girls got killed. Oh, two more prostitutes just got killed over there on that side of Lomason. See what I'm saying? Yeah, I read about that shooting a while back. So it seems like they're very quick to want to... Uh, put off any blame on the victim themselves in that case. And I noticed that you said still a murderer walking the streets. Do you, do you feel there is one person responsible that's still out there? Well, there's no doubt in my mind that there's more than one person involved in this. You you said you think there is more than one person? Yeah. Okay. Honestly, but there's a lot of rumors going around and I tell you, first off, I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know exactly what happened, but all the rumors that's going around, like, I've heard a lot, and it's hard to decipher through, you know, somebody that just wants something to talk about. Yeah, yeah, that's been tough for Nick and I, too, to sort of discern what's just gossip and what might be, you know, a legitimate theory about what's going on. Well, in my, like... At first, everybody was saying the police had something to do with it. Police had something to do with it. Well, I'm not just going to sit here and say, well, the police had something to do with it because they said the police had something to do with it. I was raped by a police officer, but just because I was raped by one police officer don't mean all police officers are like that. We live in a county where our police, you know, are we have a corrupt police department. You know what I mean? Like, I've seen this firsthand. I mean, a police officer raped me. I mean, what more can I say besides we do have a corrupt, you know, sheriff's department, the whole police department in itself, I feel like. But just because everybody blamed it on police officers don't mean that I was. I had to do research. I've been to the streets. I've walked around. I'm questioning people. I'm talking to people. I'm probably doing more than the FBI has done to tell you the truth. Well, first of all, I'm really sorry to hear about what happened to you and, you know, it it sounds like you're conducting your own investigation. Yes, I have books, like straight paperwork, every article that's been posted. Probably not every article that's been posted online, but I have like a lot of articles. Like I'm compared them. Like I even think, honestly, between me and you, I actually tried to link it to the murders that happened in 2003 in the same neighborhood. It's got to be the same person that killed them girls. They were left the same way. They were all naked. They had all been beaten before they were murdered. I mean, if you sit and you look at each case individual, there's so many similarities that it makes it almost impossible for it to be somebody else. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I agree completely. You know, there are some small differences along the way, but it seems like the similarities are overwhelming. So you strongly believe then that Lisa Harden and Michelle Driggers are definitely tied to Kristen, Rhonda, and Megan. I really think that. I really do. I know uh, 
most of them were seen near PJs before they went missing, or the last yeah, time they was, were seen. That was all their neighborhoods. Like that was their neighborhood. They walked those streets. Like Cynthia Jacobs, Chippewa Street was her street. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's the way they are over there. They have their own streets. So, like with her, I know that she was messing around with detectives. I know that. I've seen her with him. I've seen her get out the car with him. Can you tell me why Detective bought a new house and a new truck the same week that they found Megan's body? Can you tell me that? I don't understand it. I don't know nobody that's ever bought a house and a vehicle in one week, week apart. raise a lot of questions. That's some very coincidental timing. And that is, you know, Cynthia Jacobs supposedly was the last one to see Megan alive. I was going to ask if if you knew if that was uh, true. Like, I don't know for true, but people in the neighborhood said it. They were walking together on, it was like that Monday, it was like the 29th. Was it the 29th? It might have been the Monday before. I'm not sure. It's been so long ago. But I know it was like the Monday before they found Megan's body that they had been seen walking together. Cynthia and Megan were walking together before that time. Uh, so yeah. do you do you think the Megan? Monday, it was that Monday. Monday the 29th, Okay, and mm-hmm. do you think Cynthia just left town, or do you think someone got to her because of what she knew as well? Right, I think she's dead. I'm I'm sure she's dead. I'm almost positive because I mean I can tell you something. You might think I'm crazy still. You might come out and phone this girl about right now. <laughs> no, no, I'm interested to hear. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something. You think I'm crazy. Believe it. You don't have to believe. <laughs> but I have dreams. And if I have dream, a dream about somebody and they don't have no legs from their knees down, either wise, they're dead or they're about to die. Okay? Oh. Like, it never feels like my whole 30 years, I'm 30 years old. If I dream about somebody and they don't have no legs from their knees down, they're dead or they're about to die. So you've had that dream multiple times about different people? Yes, several times. And it was always true. It always it always happens. Like if they're not dead already, then they die within the week or two. Wow. Dude. Well, I had a dream about Cynthia Jacobs. And she didn't have no legs. And this was like a year ago in 2018. So for a whole year, almost a whole year. I begged somebody to go with me to where I have my dream at. I knew where it was at. Somebody begged. I begged everybody. The guy I was talking to, Megan's sister, I'm asking everybody to go with me over there. It's like, you know, well, let me get a babysitter and we'll go. You know, we just never know. Nobody never will go with me. Nobody will go with me over there. Now, when you say go over there, do you mean It was over Chippewa there on Street? the east side of okay. My dream was on Chippewa Street. Cynthia's territory. And, yes. I went to the railroad track. There's a railroad track. Um, like You know where Chippewa Street is? The street in front of PJ's? Driven past there a few times on my trips to Lumberton, yeah. Okay, well... Supposedly, that was Cynthia, well, they called her Twister. Supposedly, that was her street or whatever. And the father of my child used to live over there on that street, so I know a few people over there. Well, I had a dream that I was driving in my car, and I came up to the railroad track. And you know how, like, a school bus stops and looks both ways? Yeah. Well, in my dream, that's what I done. And when I looked to the right, I saw Cynthia Jacobs. 
and she was standing there. She didn't have no legs, and she was motioning me to come here, and I could hear her. She said, come here, come here. That's all she said. She said it twice. That's all the girl said was come here. So I went over there, but it wasn't exactly the way it was in my dream. If I was to go where she was at, I would have had to get out my car. In my dream, it's like I was right there at her. But really, in real life, when I went there, I would have had to get out my car. Well, just so happened, the guy, everyone saying to have something to do with it. Yeah, we've heard of him. He lives next to the river track. Hmm. Well, that's the area. It, okay. So I knew this all along before the dream. So in my dream, I, I seen her standing there, and I didn't want to, when I went to go over there, I didn't want to get out by myself. And, you know, somebody see me or something and start asking questions. Yeah. And everybody says that me and Megan look kind of alike. So I didn't want to raise no, no. So I finally taught my boyfriend in the woman me over there because I told him, if you don't go with me over there, I'm going to go by myself. And he didn't want me going by myself. So we went over there. And we just went over there a few months ago. <laughs> and when we got there, we pulled my car down the road and we walked to the railroad track. But I had to walk down the railroad track to get to where she was telling me to go to. Well, when I got to where she was at, I told my boyfriend, I was like, this is it. He was like, what? I was like, this is where she was standing at. This is where she told me to go. Well, when I looked around, the first thing I seen was a path. A path, through, okay. Yeah, there's a little tiny patch of woods between the house and that railroad track. And the first thing I seen when I looked around was the path through the woods. And it led straight to the house. And there was like a couple of black guys out there up under the tree talking and drinking beer. And I could hear them talking. Like that's how close I was to them. But they didn't, they couldn't see me or they, they didn't know I was there. What'd you like, hear? Like they were just talking about cars and okay. stuff. They weren't talking about like the murder or anything. They were talking about cars. But I think she's back there. Like there's an old railroad track. It's like abandoned and it's like an abandoned train, like a part of a train, like a, you know, like. One of the train cars, yeah. Yeah. So you think like Cynthia's? You think Cynthia's been concealed back there somewhere? Yes, I think she's. I know you missed it. Like this girl's crazy. No, I, I, I think it's really interesting. I had this dream, and I went there, and there's a path, and that was what really scared me was the path straight to his house. It's like she was trying to tell me something. Wow. <laughs> and, and then in front of me was the abandoned train. It's a piece of a train. And then to the left of me was like this 30-foot canal that I can't see at the bottom. I would have had to make noise to get to it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Wow. So, like, my boyfriend was like, come on, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to go. <laughs> but there's nothing in my mind that don't tell me that, that girl is back there. You know, I, I don't think you're crazy either because you know, strange things happened the day we were supposed to interview Rhonda's family. Sheila almost called it off, and then Rhonda's picture fell off the shelf at their house, and she took it as a sign. So, you know, but maybe that's similar to your dreams about Cynthia. I don't know. Like, it was really scary, but, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> I just wanted to throw that in there because, I mean, it's weird. It's worried me so bad to where I can't even hardly sleep at night sometimes because I'd be thinking that girl was back there. Well, I, I appreciate you telling me that's... That's pretty crazy to hear. I, you know, sp speaking of those 
railroad tracks, it seems like a lot of what we've been looking at in Lumberton happens along those. And I know the home Kristen was found in, it sits right beside them. Um, do you think Megan was there when Kristen and Rhonda were killed? If they yeah. were even killed in the homes? Oh, so you think they were? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she told me she was. Now, what about he just with her there later? No, they were together. They were together. Okay. Megan, Megan and they were, they were trying to get high together. So they were there trying to get high together, but were they, did they just stumble upon where Kristen was killed? Or Yeah, Megan said she could smell it. Okay, so she wasn't there when Kristen was killed, but she... she now wrote, that part, yeah. Megan wouldn't tell me. She wouldn't Megan, tell me. Megan knew. Megan knew who killed those girls. She, she told me that part, but what she wouldn't tell me is who killed her. Who killed him? She wouldn't tell me because she told me that if I tell you who killed him, then they're going to kill you. And I told her, nobody's going to know. Just tell me in case something happens to you. So I know she wouldn't. She said, I cannot tell you. I can't. She wouldn't tell me. But she was scared. Megan's not scared. <laughs> Drugs changed her. I don't know. She was scared. I did consult at her boyfriend because I hooked her. Oh, I'm the one that introduced him to one another. That she was talking to. Yeah. And after she died, I wanted to ask him, you know, so bad. You know, what happened? Tell me what happened. But I felt like it was so fresh that I just couldn't talk to anybody. So finally one night I didn't I, I came to the conclusion I was like, I got home. I got text him. I got to ask him what happened because he knows something. He knows something. So my boyfriend kept on telling me, don't ask him, don't get him to die, don't uh, So I ended up, I ended up texting him. And I'll tell you, I got to put up my phone if you want to hear what I asked. I just texted him and I was like, hey, what you up to? He's like, nothing, chilling. I said, hey, I hate to bother you, but I really haven't had a chance to talk to you since everything happened. I said, I didn't want to bother you so soon. I said, but I have a few questions. Do you have a few minutes? He said, about what? I was like, I just want to know if you know or have any idea who did it. He said, girl, girl, if I knew, don't you know I'd already? I'd she said, he said, girl, if I did, don't you know the laws would know already? She, he said, uh, I was out of town when she got killed. And uh, I said, I know you were. I said, but she had to tell you something. I said, she had to tell someone. I said, what about Rhonda and Christina? Do you know something about them? He said, I don't know. The only thing I, I can think of is that someone who they was fucking with or something. I don't know, Mom. I said, how was Megan in relationship? I know you heard Definitely. We've heard about her a lot, yeah. So I said, how was Megan's relationship? Was they cool with each other? He said, far as I know, straight, I don't know. So he kept on telling me, I don't know. And I know this young and all his life, he was holding it back. Hmm. He was lying to me because he kept on telling me he didn't know. That's interesting. He, he just wanted to take me back if he didn't know. Yeah, that's interesting because we heard a lot about, but recently... We've heard that that theory was debunked, that she and whoever helped her, uh, they weren't actually involved the way that story went. So it seems like he was holding back about the relationship with Megan. 
yeah, it's like he didn't really want to tell me. So I asked him, I said, well, who did Megan get her stuff from over there? He said, get what stuff? I said, like her hair, one, her crack, whatever she was using. I said, damn, tell me something. He said, any drug dealer she knew. I said, she told me, he said, she knew a handful of them. I said, so from April the 18th to June the 3rd, Megan never told you that she was scared. He said, yeah. He said, but she would do that when she got high. I said, come on. I said, they found two people that she's been fucking around with dead. Now she's dead. And you're trying to tell me, you know Megan almost as good as I do, that she had to be scared. He said, um, I said, God, I said, I swear, I won't say shit. I won't put your name in shit. I said, just please tell me something. I said, she looked scared as fuck in that interview. I said, she was hiding something. I said, you know, just as good as I do. I said, what was it? He said, listen, if I would have known something, I would have been went to the laws and her family. I don't know nothing, so I don't know what else to tell you. She didn't say nothing to me about anything or anyone. We wasn't even standing together. She would come in and go as she pleased. I'm not trying to be rude or not, and I just don't know what else to tell you. I said, I completely understand. Hell, I know that if you knew something, you would have been said something. I said, I just knew you were the one that she confined in, and she loved you and trusted you no matter what the hell kind of drugs she's on. I said, I figured if she was scared, you would have been the only one that she would tell. I said, I thought maybe when Rhonda and Christina got killed that she might have told you who she thought it was. This is the only thing he takes. He said, she said that she thought it was that had something to do with Rhonda and the other girl. Here we are. Coming back up again. And that had to be frustrating for him too, not not knowing the full picture there. Right. Do, do you also feel that he was involved? I kind of, I, I, I don't, I don't feel like she had, she killed Megan. I know she didn't kill Megan. Now, as far as her hiring them dudes to do it or whatever went down with that, that may have been an option. But as far as her killing Megan, I don't think that's true. But Megan was in the same jail cell he was in. The same jail cell. They talk and everything. Like, I don't know. And Megan was asking to talk to a detective. They wouldn't let her talk to nobody. And I feel like she was going through withdrawals. And I feel like if they'd have just let her talk to somebody, then she would have probably told him. So someone um, someone was keeping Megan from talking to the police after Kristen and Rhonda were killed. Mm-hmm. That was her family afraid for her, or who was who was preventing her? I don't know. Because you know, we've heard at one point in another podcast, Thirty Two Degrees, about these cases. We heard a story about Megan uh, jumping out of a car with Lumberton police officers at one point that I guess were trying to interview her or talk to her or something. Um, do, you, do you know anything about that? Yeah, that's the same day that I had talked to Megan. That's the same day, yeah. So yeah, she was... Like, like, I guess, like, they had beat her and, like, left her in the street, right? The, the police? <laughs> for, for dead, pretty much. And they had, like, cut on her hair. Oh, oh, not the police, but the people that attacked her. 
Right. Yeah. So but the police probably heard of Megan's mama's house toward mama's house that day. And Megan's mama was telling her, you know, stay here and blah, 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 talk to the police. But Megan didn't want to talk to him then. She didn't want to talk to him. Okay. And she was scared. She didn't want to talk. And I guess, like, I guess she felt like they were going to, like, <laughs> I don't know what was going through her mind to make her jump out. Right now, because I think she ran back there with that peacock with that that day, and she's scared to death of that thing. Well, so she must have been pretty afraid then. Right, yeah, like she was not trying to talk to no police. Like she went up there, like Megan walked over there to the police department and talked to somebody. It's like one minute she'd be wanting to tell the police, and then the next day the police she tell them she was like, "Me, I can't, I can't." But she did tell me that she walked up there to like a substation. Yeah. It's like right down the road. And I guess she had went there to talk to somebody. And I, from the way she talked, she did talk to somebody. But I, nothing was ever done. I don't know what she told them or anything. Like she just told me that she walked up there to talk to them. That's how she told me. So I, I guess we'll never know exactly what right. she said. Because, like, I'm pretty sure they won't go. Say, yeah, she came up here. I mean, I'm pretty sure they're not one of them yet. And then the girl turned around and get killed. So, yeah, no, some people have speculated, you know, that, you know, she got killed because of what she knew. And it seems like you confirmed that, but it seems maybe there was an opportunity for her to get help that wasn't wasn't provided if she, if she really did go to them. Um, so that's unfortunate now. And you said also that she was definitely attacked not by a single person, but a group of people that cut her hair. Yeah. And that was like right before she got killed. Like, right. I mean, I'm talking about it wouldn't. It was probably two weeks before they found her. Do you think they were trying to kill her that night or just trying to get her to stay quiet? I don't think they were trying to kill her that night. But a simple fact is I think it was more like, you know, um, I ain't gonna say I don't think she even got away that night because like the way that police officer said she was like laid out the street. You know what I mean? I kind of didn't even really know what had happened. Oh, honestly, so, so they just like, left her there, right? So I took it as like a warning, like, hey, you know what I mean? Yeah, what don't you? I I don't know. I just feel like, and then when I went thinking about it, I was like, God, all these girls has been beat before they were killed, so. I don't know. It's just, I don't know, but I know that she was beat because her hair was cut too. It was like uh, chunks, like little chunks cut out of it. This episode is brought to you in part by the lovely folks at Care Of. As the seasons change, it's important to get ahead of taking care of your immune health. Fall back into a healthy routine with Care Of. Care of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals with a customized vitamin plan that helps you feel your best today and supports you long term. All of Care of's products are formulated with good for you, clean ingredients that are backed by science. Get a personally tailored approach to your unique health needs. Care of's super easy and in depth five minute online quiz asks you questions about your diet, lifestyle, and health concerns to help you address your specific wellness goals. It takes about 30 days for your body to adapt to new nutrients. So now is a great time to update your vitamin and wellness routines to help support your immune system this fall. I took the quiz myself, actually. I was honestly pleasantly surprised with the overall process from start to finish. Being on the go constantly, keeping up my immunity and hydration is super important. The quick sticks are my go-to and they're so good. 
For 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter code DARKWATER50. That's for 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter code DARKWATER50. People have claimed that something does. Do you, do you know if that's something she's had done yeah, to multiple women? Yeah, she has a torture room. They said that girl's got a torture room. And um, Megan even told me that she had this girl in there for a couple of days. And, like, she don't feed them and don't give them no water. And, like, she, like, tortures them. And I don't know if this is true or not, but, like, from what rules? Yeah. From what he said... They didn't even have no teeth. The the girls that have been kept. No, Megan and oh, them. Oh, oh, Megan and them. Oh, oh, I see. So you mean when they were found, they didn't have any teeth? Yeah, they said they and Megan told me that 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 pulled them girls' teeth in her torture room. That girl that was in there for a few days, she said that. Well, she didn't say girls. She said that she pulled that girl, the girl's teeth, the one girl. She didn't say multiple, but she that's what she said that she had done to that girl. And she's alive. So you you think Russ Bowen got this information from law enforcement that the teeth had been pulled? Well, from what he said, he went out there. He seen the pictures. Oh, so they actually showed him the case files. Wow. That's what he said. And he, it, he was able to like to show us like the uh, paperwork they had on her. Of course, not the pictures because yeah. they wouldn't even let her mom or like let me go in there and steer because it's like no family can go in. And then she's like, well, what about a friend? She's not family. And it's like, no, nobody can't see her. They wouldn't let us see her body. Well, now that's really interesting because, you know, I got their autopsy records eventually and there there was nothing listed about the teeth in there. I don't know if there's any reason they would hold that evidence back or and if they, then, they like, noticed the, the object they found in her throat. They wouldn't tell us what that, what it was. In Megan's throat? Mm-hmm. So I, I had heard that her mouth was stuffed in some manner uh, like she was being silent. So so there was something in her throat. Yeah, that's what I know y'all about I the day we went to the funeral home to pick out the casket and stuff and do the arrangements, and they said her body had been put on hold because of the um the autopsy wait right yeah so like when we got we were, I didn't ride with them to the funeral home I had stayed at her mama's house and when they got back and they was telling you know me and her mama about how they wouldn't let them pick out the casket so we called Raleigh. And we had it on speakerphone. Her mama gave me the phone. I put it on speakerphone. And we were all sitting there, me, mama. There was a few of us in there. But I had it on speakerphone. And that man said, he said, I never forget it. He said, the man that had completed her autopsy said that she think too bad. And that he just tried to zip her up and send her to Robinson County. I didn't do no autopsy on her. Said she didn't have no cuts or abrasions or anything on her. But when they put her body on the hold and sent it back to Raleigh, and I think it was like the next day before we found out. It might have been the next day. It might have been two days. It was a long time because I remember I couldn't hardly eat or sleep or anything. And um, when we finally got back in contact with them, they said that, um, that she had an object stuck down her throat and that she had like a... Uh, her head was busted open and all kind of other stuff that they said none of that in the beginning. But he said the man had been fired. They had done her autopsy. And he was the 
and she contacted them and they said that nobody hadn't the same people had been working there for the past 15 years and okay wow so let me try to get all that straight so someone at in robinson county at first was supposed to do her autopsy and didn't and that's when she got sent to raleigh no, no. Okay. She was in Raleigh. They sent her body to Raleigh for autopsy. Okay. Yeah, that's what we thought. Yeah. So she goes to Raleigh for the autopsy, and you said someone there had been fired? Yeah. They said that the man that was supposed to do her autopsy that day, it was like that Monday morning, the man that was supposed to do her autopsy, he didn't do it. He just said she stinked too bad, and he zipped her up and sent her back to the funeral home. But when they got to the funeral home and Taylor and them got to the funeral home to peek out, do the you know the arrangements and everything, they said, "Well, we can't do nothing right now because the body's been put on the hold." And they was like, "What did that mean?" And she was like, "I don't know. You'll have to contact them in Raleigh." So when she got back to her mama's house, that's when she told us what had happened at the funeral home. So that's when we called Raleigh to see what was going on. And when we called, the man we talked to supposedly being like the head man or whatever. And he told us, he was like, the guy who had done supposedly done her autopsy the day before, he didn't do it. Because he said, I walked into work and he said, I came into work and I asked him, how was that body from yesterday from Robinson County? And he said that she stank too bad and he didn't do the autopsy. He didn't do the paperwork on her. He said that she put on there that she had OD'd. Okay. But he called, I guess the main man called the funeral home and put the body on a hold and had him send it back to Raleigh. So when the body got sent back to Raleigh, he, I guess he done the autopsy and He's the one that said that, you know, her head was busted open and she had some stuff down her throat and, you know, they didn't know how she had died. Wow. So it, it really seemed like they were, at least that one employee was very negligent at first. So uh, I'm glad that for whatever reason, I don't know how that procedure works, but I'm glad she was put on hold and they, they found what they did. Now, Right. But then after we talked and then, you know, called down there to confirm everything, you know, what had happened. And they were saying, they told her that nobody had not been fired. Huh. It, that, okay. That's what Nolan called me. And who I is? Never she called me that afternoon and told me that she had researched it, called up there and everything. And she said that nobody had been fired. And I even have like, you know, if you look online, I found articles all the way back like 1989 to where, you know, in Raleigh where they do the autopsies and everything, there had hundreds and hundreds of cases to where, you know, this thing, this kind of thing has happened or they sent somebody to prison for years and years for no reason at all and they weren't guilty. Like, I mean, there's, you would be amazed. I have articles on top of articles, even back talking about um, the death of like um, Michael Jordan's daddy, even where they messed up evidence in his case. Wow. So, yeah, so we've covered that also. So, and, and who is this Caitlin called into? Oh, uh, she's from Inside Edition. Inside Edition. Got okay. So she found mm-hmm. out some information through her reporting. Then, so from Russ Bowen, you guys found out that. They were missing teeth, and then through Caitlin, you find uh, at the medical examiner's office that 
She had an extreme head wound and something stuffed into her throat, but they wouldn't say what. Right. But now when we did talk to the police officers about the case, to the detective, now he did say that, you know, they was going to keep that private in case, you know, only the killer would know. That's one of the things that only the killer would know, you know, what was in her throat. Yeah. Wow. So then, now I did have a detective tell me that. I can't remember who told me we was talking about it. But um, now they did tell us that, that that may be a reason why they never told us what it was. Okay, yeah, to, to kind of make sure if they're talking to someone, they really have unique knowledge of it. Because in the family, we don't, we don't know. We don't even know. Well, we always heard that there was something, so it, it's at least good to finally confirm that. So uh, I'm guessing you don't really have any idea of you think Abby is also connected to these cases as well, or uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I honestly don't know. I don't know. I don't. I have never made up my mind. I don't know. I'm gonna just be real with you. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's understandable because I feel like the more I find out, the the less sure I am about anything with with these cases. Anything else? you want to mention like unique details like that from the investigation or anything you want to say about really just what's been happening in Lumberton and Robinson County at large with these cases? Uh, you know, what, what do people need to know? What would you want to say? Mm. I don't know. I just, I just feel like whoever done it, they're still here. I feel like they got to be somewhat educated. And a lot of people, you know, they don't know. They look at Robinson County Code and a bunch of people, they don't know what. Because we talk like we don't know nothing. I mean, you're talking to me. You wouldn't think I had a, a four-year degree. You know what I mean? <laughs> we talk like we don't know <laughs> well, yeah, I, I try not to jump to any conclusions with, with stuff like that because I'm, I'm, I've certainly had people judge me as well. So. Uh, but yeah, I understand what you mean about the stereotypes. So you, you think you think it's an educated person that's yeah, been doing right. this. Even though, even though I know it, it could be somebody on the street, but it's somebody who's educated. Like there's no way, I, and it just makes it so weird because like the day that they found me body, they sat out there for hours. They had bags on top of brown bags on top of brown bags of all this evidence. And then for that evidence to sit on like, well, I guess that was just, was that just the right kids to sit on the shelves for 20, 20 months? Yeah, and then I, I know they haven't announced anything about the fingernail clippings as well. Okay. So, I, I mean, I just think it's like, it's so crazy. They spent all those hours out there collecting all that stuff, and we haven't heard nothing. It's been three years. Like, how can you collect all that stuff out there for all those hours? I mean, there were so many brown paper bags. I'm like, you know, they got to find something. They have to find something. But all these years, and I'm a biologist as well, I know that that stuff, they probably don't, I feel like they don't even have it anymore. I don't know. I had gave up. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. I told everybody I had almost gave up. And I went and paid my insurance um, about three months ago. I walked into the insurance company to pay my bill. I usually do it over the phone or online. But when I walked in, the first thing I noticed was one of those FBI posters hanging up. And it was fresh. You could tell it was fresh. So after I paid my bill, um, there was also one of Abby as well upon her. 
And after I paid my bill, I asked the lady, I said, I'm sorry to bother you. I said, do you mind me asking who hung this poster up here? She said, well, matter of fact, the FBI agent came in here about, she said, probably the beginning of last month. She said, oh, and he asked me, was it okay if he hung it up? And if he could ask me a few questions. And oh, she told him he could hang up the poster and she told him, you know, she hadn't seen nothing odd or anything in the community, whatever. But that right there gave me hope, you know, like, still I really, I thought they had just like dropped it. Yeah. But that, when she told me that only a month and a half ago, FBI agent had walked in there and asked her to put that on that wall, that's the only thing this whole year that has like gave me a little bit of hope. That brightens my spirits a little bit too about it as well to know that they're they're still looking in the community and still trying to at least some form of outreach. And this yeah. was probably like in uh, probably February or March of this year. So, yeah, yeah. So that yeah. like I mean, I it, it amazed me. Like I honestly really thought they had like gave up because like if you call the number that they post everywhere, you know, whoever is going to who ha- who has any information to call that number? It takes like thirty minutes to get somebody on the phone. Yeah. It's crazy. And can I also tell you that I hung those posters at the ATM over there from Second Street four days in a row, and they got ripped off. Huh? Yeah, I have been reading about people tearing down the posters for Kristen, Rhonda, Megan, and I think Abby's as well. So that's right. It's interesting that somebody would go through the trouble to do that. And see, I don't live, I live probably, I'd ha- I have to literally go 25 minutes out of the way to get where I'm talking about. But I went three days in a row because the first one got tore down. So I went again and put it up under the camera and it got tore down too. So the next day I asked the man at the store, I said, um, is there any way you can rewind these cameras? He's like, no, they don't record. They just like play, I guess. It's like, Discourage somebody or something. Huh. Was this at PJ's or another store? No, it's another. It's the next store down. Okay, gotcha. It's a little bit farther down. So I went to PJ's. Actually, the same three days I went to PJ's. All three posters got tore down. The last poster I put up, the lady at the store, I asked her. I said, "Baby, my poster keeps on getting tore down." I said, "Do you think I can put it on the inside of the store?" And she's like, yeah, 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 you can put it up there. So I put it up there and went back three days later and it was gone. Do you think someone is fearful of someone seeing those posters and speaking or just that the posters make them angry, maybe? Mm -hmm. Both? Yeah, I think that. I honestly do because I'm telling you, all three days they got tore down. And it's like, I said, somebody's going, the only reason I didn't go back the fourth day is because I was scared somebody's going to be there watching to see who was hanging hanging the poster up. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have to wonder after that many times in a row. Definitely. So I was actually scared the last time. The third time I went, I was actually scared. So I just, I already had it, the tape on it and everything. I just threw it on there and jumped out of the car, swung it up there and jumped back in my car. Because I was scared. Yeah. I was scared somebody was going to be waiting on me. I would have done the same, yeah. So, yeah. and then it got tore down and I was like, man. And that's when I called that number. I was going, you know, let the FBI know, hey, I'm holding these posters three days in a row. Is there any way we can hang them and, you know, get camera footage or something? Because there's got to be a reason why they're getting tore down. Do you know if there was any follow-up on their end about setting up a way to uh, surveil 
who might have been tearing them down? No, it was like um, if you continued on the phone, yeah. it gives you option after option. It eventually leads you to a voicemail. I left a message. I have never been contacted back. I've even um, called like uh, the sheriff's department, asked them questions about the case or anything. Nobody never returns my phone calls. Never. <laughs> never. You know, they won't reach out to us for many of our messages either, so I can't say I'm surprised. Right. So it kind of makes you lose hope after so many attempts, and it seems like sometimes you're the only one fighting because, you know, she gets depressed a lot, and when she gets depressed, she just don't want to talk about it, you know. Yeah. Don't want to have nothing to do with it. But like Megan Steady, this ain't no lie. This man gets on his bicycle almost every day and goes to that side of the and asking questions. Like, he will. I swear to you, he will ride over there and ask questions. As a matter of fact, he just spoke to a lady the other day who was on, who mentioned a new name to him. And he had told about it, called me and asking me, had I ever heard of this person before? Like, Every day he goes, it's still to the day, he goes over there asking questions, trying to find out what happened to his daughter. That's impressive. It's dedicated. Yeah, was was the name someone you knew? No, it wasn't. Matter of fact, I can't even recall the name off the top of my head right now. Mm-hmm. I'd have to call and ask her, but she's the one that called me and told me about it. And then actually, her daddy came a few days later and told me about it again. And he was like, I can't remember the name. But it was a guy's name. But it was a name I had I had never heard of dealing with the case. And then, I don't know if you ever heard of this girl or not, but she's a crazy girl. Her name's But um, me and her, I mean, I try to help the girl out. She's kind of slow. But anyway, she had brought a guy to my house like three or four days after Megan was killed. And he was a black guy. And his name, they called, he told me his name was, um, can't think of the man's name. He said he was a truck driver. He said he drove transfer trucks, right? Yeah. He was very disrespectful. He had never been to my house before. He was disrespectful. As soon as he walked in my house, he looked at me and said, hold on a minute, I got to use the phone. It's like he just looked at me. And when he looked at me, it was the awkwardest look. And I asked her, I said, who is this man? She was like, this is my friend from the east side. I said, Megan just got killed. I said, you'll bring this man to my house. I don't know who he is. He's from over there. I said, what the hell's wrong with you? This man might be coming to kill me. Because I was very paranoid, you know, like when it first happened. Yeah. I was very paranoid. So this man was a truck driver from the east side of Lumberton. That was the name. So he had told me his name. He was was very disrespectful. He was talking like pure shit about women. Like, I mean, he was was just like, he just struck a nerve in me. So then after he took his little two-minute phone call, he come back in the house and said, I need to go to the store. And she said, we just passed like five stores. He said, didn't I say I need to go to the damn store? He said, is you going to take me or what? So she looked at my baby's daddy and said, will you take him to the store? And he was like, yeah, I'll take him. So he left with my baby's daddy, and that's why I went to ask her, you know, who the hell is this man? He's disrespectful as hell. My young'un's in here, you know what I mean? Like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. 
So I was like, well, whenever they get back, y'all just leave or whatever. I was like, cause I don't know what the hell is going on. Just like, you ain't got nothing to worry about. You'll be paranoid or whatever. So when he got back, they left. All right. Well, then an FBI agent called me. That was the first time the FBI had contacted me. And he contacted me and he asked me, had I had had I heard anything about a truck driver? I said, about a truck driver? No. He's like, well, it's right there off of 95 and this, that, and the third. I was like, let me tell you something. This ain't no stranger. This ain't no, you know what I mean, truck driver trying to bust a nut on his own route. I said, this is personal. Whoever killed them girls knew them girls. This episode is brought to you in part by the lovely folks at Green Chef. Green Chef is a USDA-certified organic company, and meal plans include vegan, vegetarian, paleo, and keto. Green Chef lets you choose from a wide array of easy-to-follow recipes with select organic ingredients. They've got plenty of meal plans to choose from every week, so you've always got clean ingredients you can trust that are seasonally sourced for peak freshness. My wife and I are pescatarians and we're always looking for the freshest, most delicious ingredients possible when we cook, but we don't always have time to make that happen with our schedules. We just got our first boxes of Green Chef and I must say, I'm a huge fan in particular of the orange miso tofu with sauteed green beans, chard, and a ginger lime peanut sauce. I'm actually about to go make a batch now for dinner. But we've got an exclusive deal for dark water listeners. Let Green Chef do the meal planning, grocery shopping, and most of the prep for you week after week. To try it out yourself, go to greenchef.com darkwater80 and use code darkwater80 to get $80 off across four boxes, including free shipping on your first box. Again, go to greenchef.com darkwater80 and use code darkwater80 to get $80 off across four boxes, including free shipping on your first box. I'm telling you, it's not a random truck driver. So he said, have you ever heard of the name? I said, no. It had been like a week or two before I had met that guy. So all day at work that day, all I could think about was my conversation with that FBI agent. And I had called him. This man had called my mama and got my number and said he was, because I wasn't even sure if it was an FBI agent. That's how paranoid I was, Brett. Like, I was so paranoid that I didn't even know or trust him when he told me he was an FBI agent, right? Yeah. So I called him. And I was like, this FBI agent supposedly called me today. He was asking me about this, this, this. And when I went to tell him, he had asked me, that's when it dawned on me. I said, oh, my God. I said, do you think? that he meant instead of so I didn't like I said I, I didn't catch on to it until I went to telling her about it and I said you think I should call that man back and tell him you know about that she's like girl yeah you better and that man came to your house like that and then the FBI agent went asked you about it she's like girl you better call that man back I called him back and told him about the guy who had came to my house and, and it, said his name was Napoleon. A truck driver from the east side named that was talking poorly about women in your house and gave you a bad vibe. Yeah, but wow. like, she said that he's like, like, he knew 
everything. Huh. So that's that's why I got kind of got like, what the world? What's wrong with you? Yeah, that's like, that's a connection you went and won't brought home. Yeah. And I mean, this was at my house. Like my baby was there and everything. I was like, what? <laughs> wow. It really scared me. But really and truly, now that I take back on it, I really don't think it was. You know, I'm hoping. Like I think that if he he had anything to do with the murders or anything like that, I think something would have happened by now. Okay. So I really don't really think he had nothing to do with it. But it was just very weird that he came to my house like that. That's where he was from. His name was FBI asking about me. (laughs) (laughs) So my nurse was like, I don't know what to do. (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot to handle at once. So you think they're at least, that's somebody they were at least looking at at one point maybe? Maybe. Yeah. I, I'm really not sure, and I don't know who he had talked to or where he got. Well, actually, when I called the man back and told him about the guy, he actually told me that he was reading it off of a paper, and that's all he told me. Huh. So he's like, I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and make sure. But like I said, nobody never contacted me back. But other than that and the story about Steve, I heard that Rhonda and Christina stole some drugs from her and that she had her boys to go kill them and Megan just knew about it that's why they got her too that's like a lot of people say that so it's it's tough for me to want to believe that one because I know I know Rhonda was fighting to get her kids back around the time this happened so well, I don't try to like put nobody down and them because you know we all have our faults and stuff but um Rhonda just had court just for her, like, the custody battle, like, she was not getting those kids back. Yeah. Um, She didn't want those kids back. She was in the same boat that Megan was in, you know. Oh, they yeah. wanted their kids. They loved their kids, but they were not trying to, like, fight to get them back. Those girls, they loved their children. Of course they did, but they weren't fighting to get them back. They didn't even have nowhere to lay their head down. That makes sense, yeah. And, and like I said, I'm not judging nobody because, I mean, like, even though I tried to, like, beg Megan, I'm like, because she used to live with me. I, I got Megan somewhere to stay for a long time. I got her a job. You know, I tried to help her as much as I possibly could, you know? Yeah. But even though I gave her, you know, fed her, bought her clothes and everything, even though I'd done all of that, it's not that she didn't want a better life. It ain't that, you know, it's just that the drug addiction, I mean, it's just so strong. Megan told me herself she had lost control. So, I mean, of course, all of them had. They were on the streets selling their body, you know? Yeah. And see, me, I'm, I raised myself since I was 12 years old. I lived in a tent. I washed up under a water hose. The only time I got to eat is when I went to school. So, if I can do it, anybody can do it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's, like, that's impressive. I had a rough childhood. Like I said, I was right by a police officer, but I didn't never let none of that define who I am. And I'm not I'm not a perfect person either. Like, me and Megan used to party together. I haven't never done any kind of hard drugs, you know, like some of the stuff she had just got into. But like I said, Megan had just got into those kind of drugs. She had never, like, the worst thing she had ever done was, like, take a pill. But... She just recently got into, like, heroin and crack and stuff like that. So I'm not making myself to be no perfect pitch or anything, but I'm just saying, like, 
you know, no matter what you're being thrown alive, you can still, you know, come out of it. You don't let that define who you are. You definitely opened my eyes and given me a new perspective on things. I appreciate it. And, and like I said, I'm not like trying to down nobody or anything. Like I just like I want the public to know the facts, like what it really is. Yeah. Like instead of just trying to paint yourself, I, I was the perfect, perfect parent, regardless of what kind of parent you were. They're dead now, and like we just need justice, like to find out what happened, like closure. Yeah. Like, regardless of what note you left on with each other. Yeah, that's that's the important thing. Right, yeah. and even like stuff like that could actually help the investigation, you know? Yeah. You can't, you got the laws wondering, well, why didn't you just let her come? Why wouldn't she at your house? Or, you know, let's just be real about it. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I just, maybe I shouldn't have said all of that, but it's the truth. Like, and it really, it bothers me. I'm, I'm glad like, you it mentioned really it. Bothers uh, me. Yeah, I mean, that's what we want to tell the story as accurately as possible, you know, as as painful as that might be and as complex as it might be. But yeah, I guess everybody really needs a little bit of help. <laughs> yeah, same here. Well, yeah, unless there's anything else you want to contribute, uh, again, we, we really appreciate your time and honesty, and it certainly helps us have a better view of what's happening and uh, where the cases are going. And, you know, regardless of what happens with the podcast, I sincerely hope that we get answers on this sooner than later. And I, I hope that behind the scenes, there truly is some evidence leading that way. Right. I kind of feel like it was covered. It had to be covered over. There's no way they got all that. There's no, no way that all the evidence just like fell through the crack or there's that much negligence in the system that it just disappeared. So you think it's not just negligence. There's also uh, corruption going on with these cases. It's got to be. Like, what other way I don't say no other way. But how do you have three bodies and you don't know what happened? Yeah. All within a mile apart. If you go and get in a helicopter and get over them railroad tracks, the bodies were lined up perfectly. Probably like even Christina in that house, she was the farthest one away from the train. And literally, what was she what what would you say that was? Sixteen, maybe twenty foot away from that track? Yeah, it's not very far at all. At far at all. Um, that that railroad track was used as transportation to transport them bodies. Everybody except for Megan. Like, I don't feel like Chris Pena was killed in that house. And then you think that links links back to uh, Michelle and Lisa as well along the railroad tracks, and as yeah. you were saying earlier, and they were like found on Hestertown, I believe. Yeah, right there. They were all naked, all beaten, like. It just, it really, really, I really think all of us connected. I honestly do. But some reason about Abby, for some reason, something tells me in the back of my mind that she's not. Something else happened with her. Yeah. yeah. Everybody else, I, I swear, uh, even down to Christina. Even, I mean, not Christina. I mean, say even down to um Cynthia. Yeah. I even think, like, I really think that all of those, and, and you may think I'm crazy as well. Because this was with Megan um, two Saturdays before her body was found. Okay. Yeah, I've read about him pre- previously, so he might have been privy to the same knowledge Megan was. I'm thinking that. Yeah. Um, I, I think more like a protection to Megan. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what kind of relationship they had. She never really talked about it. I didn't even know she knew it. 
until two Saturdays before her body was found. She was with him at um not PJ's but that next door. Um, what is it, Stocks? I'm not that sure. They were they were like standing next to the um store. I um clean condos at the beach on the weekends, mm-hmm. and um I had rode through there, and it was like seven o'clock in the morning, and he was standing against the store with her, and I was going to stop and talk to her, but I was running a few minutes late for work, yeah. so I didn't really get to stop and talk to her. But she was there with us, and then I just thought it was crazy how he came up missing like that. So you think maybe he might have ended up that way uh, by trying to protect her in some manner? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Nobody's never told me that. Yeah. But I I just know that Megan's always, like, she likes to keep a band around her, like, for protection. Yeah. Like, no, so nobody won't try to rape her, kill her or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's very scared when it comes to other people. Like, even before she started doing drugs. So... Uh, she's just a paranoid type of person. And she would just like keep a man around her. So when I seen her, I knew already that was like her protection. Okay, I see. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame her given uh, what the area is like. Yeah. And you know, those girls over there, they still walk that neighborhood. Like, and I'm asking them, I asked this one girl, I asked two of them. Now, one girl, I asked her, I said, girl, you're still walking these streets after you've seen what happened to those girls. You know what she told me? I yeah. haven't done nothing wrong. Hmm. That's what she said. That's pretty bold. Yeah. Right. I ain't done nothing wrong. I ain't got nothing to be worried about. And the other one pretty much told me the same thing. She said, I ain't done a thing for nobody to kill me. So, so that's interesting that even the same women that are, uh, in essence, walking in the footsteps of the others, you know, they they seem to place some sort of blame on them as well for for knowing something, doing something wrong. Right. Uh, yeah, that seems weird. And I never I never could make sense of it. Like like I told you, I go, I go over there all the time. Like I ride those streets, and I'd be like, sometimes I'd be depressed, and I just ride around and be like, Oh, Megan's seen this. I don't know how it's in my mind. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. Mm-hmm. But, like, I stopped and I talked to people and I asked them, you know, y'all know, no, ain't this where these girls got killed at? And I try to act like I don't know them. But I thought, ain't this where these girls got killed at? Why are you still walking these streets? And those women, they take you. I haven't done nothing wrong. You know, I'm not scared. What's there to be scared of? Yeah. So. And that makes you think, you know, I, I don't feel like they could have done something wrong that is uh, deserving of death. So it's. Seems unfair uh, of them to say that. Uh, so, I wish I knew what really happened, but like I tell everybody, I'm not scared to say, you know, I don't know. But I do know that thing came up way too much. There's too many people saying it's the police officers. Like, and everybody, like, there's so many people behind so many different stories. That's what makes it so interesting to me. I'm like, dang, half the world thinks it's police officers done it. Everybody else thinks it's one of them. Yeah, it's, it's hard and to then, keep up with. It's exhausting. Let me tell you about this guy. Okay. Every holiday, let me tell you, honey, every holiday, somebody gets drunk and texts me on Facebook. I have had the weirdest messages. It's crazy. It's really crazy. Did you know that somebody else was uh, found in that house murdered in like 1989? No, I did not. 
Yeah, somebody else was found in that house. The, was so it 1989 or 98? I think it was 98. I might be wrong. Might be 98. And this is the same blue home that Kristen was found mm-hmm. in? You're saying someone yes. was found in either 89 or 98. They were murdered. Yes. Mm-hmm. They were murdered and found in that same house. Now, I wonder if the home was also still owned by Woodbury Bowen at that point. Yeah. I'm not sure. Probably so, as old as that man is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, I was going to tell you about this guy. He's my friend on Facebook. His name is, um, and, um, the first time he ever texted me was last Christmas. It was, I think it's Christmas Eve. Probably still got it in my phone. I know I do. But he was asking me if I knew me. Well, I guess he had seen where I had, like, posted something on Facebook about her. He said, uh, hey, sweetheart, I'm in trying to get up with you. Megan was a good friend of mine. I tried to help her, give her money, and not expect nothing in return. Just trying to hurt, trying, just trying to help her out. When I found out she was murdered, it broke my heart. I seen her every day, every morning at the store. When I was going to work and when I would come home from work, we would talk a few minutes before I went to work. I'd give her a few dollars to get her something to drink or something to eat. He said, can we talk when I get off of work? He said, um, I would I would give her a few dollars, nothing in return, just a friend. She was about ready to change her life. I got a little information. I know a lot of people. No, I don't do drugs. I just drink a lot. I got a little statement or something that I want to give to you and see what you can do about it. I went to the police station with it a while back, but no detective was in the office, so I left. I felt like it was just not meant for me to do it. I lost the paper, but I found it today, and I got some information. Maybe you could do something with it to help my friend and the other two. I don't want no money and no nothing. I just need justice. Don't let nobody know about me. Please don't let nobody know about me. And I give you what I got. So I text him and I said, what exactly do you know? He said, call me. You need my number? They sent me his number. So then when he sent me his number, I got all got dressed and went to the Because I was wanting to be around her when I talked to him. So I called him and he told me that this guy named uh-huh. uh, he lives over there on the east side. Yeah. But he said that this guy named what was your name? And that he seen Megan go into a house and that she never came out. I said, Well what do you mean? He said, Well, they're trying to say that put her in a trash can. Her and Rhonda and Christina and walked them down the um, railroad track and put them where they were at. He said a guy named So he told me that. He also said that didn't kill him, but she didn't kill him. That her boys killed him. So the whole time, everybody said her boys, I thought it was her son. <laughs> I didn't, I wasn't thinking streetwise. Oh, yeah. They were saying boys. Um, what they really meant was um, her boys, like, you know, like, I guess they sell drugs for her. They kill people for her. They torture people for her. Like, they're like her go-getters, her rogue dogs or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, do all her dirty work. Yeah. But I thought they were talking about her son, like her two sons. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the way everybody was like her two boys. 
So everybody's just saying like these two guys killed her, killed all of them yeah. for whatever. Yeah, we've heard those names quite a bit. Uh, hers. No. Uh, and then and then that guy, her um, Celia Jacobs, his whole family said that they got her social security card from his house and her shoes off the of porch. I heard he had a lot of her property. Yeah, and you no, know, we've also heard the name. All floated around. Yeah. Um, and see, like, I think, um, well, you know, it's the same guy that was arrested, but he was fronting this guy some drugs, right? Mm-hmm. And his daddy owned a in Lumberton. It's like a big, like a hardware store where they don't sell tools and stuff. It's like a uh, horse feed and it, they sell like tractor supply stuff. Yeah. It's kind of like a tractor supply. And his daddy owns it. And she had like fronted him a bunch of drugs. And she, he kept on telling her, you know, my daddy's don't give me the money to pay you back. So that night when I was closing, well, actually, it was early that morning when they were, no, it was that night. It was that night when they were closing. Had to use his wife's car, which is that girl came to my house that brought. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's his wife. I've tried messenger messaging her a few times. Yeah, people told me I should talk to her. Uh, so, so that's interesting. You bring her up. So, so he. Well, she stays like three doors down from me. Okay. And like she was over there in that neighborhood during this time. That's why I said she's the one that brought that guy to my house. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well. Um, I also tell you that she's another one that just really wants something to talk about. Yeah. But she do know some things, but she do like paint a pretty picture. Uh-huh. But um, what happened was she said, you her and come get me. So borrowed her car and he went yeah, and they were in there. Like doing drugs and she like I don't know what they were doing. He said they was just doing drugs, and she took the gun and put it to his head and said, "You white son of a bitch, you gonna take me where I want to go?" And because I guess he had told her he wouldn't would take her, so gun and said, "We're gonna take this guy and his girlfriend. We're going to go get my money." So they put the girl in the trunk in her panties made her get naked right mm-hmm. so that's another reason like this naked stuff keeps going keeps on coming up that's part of her torture you see what i'm saying yeah so hey she put that girl in her panties and put her in the car was in the passenger side he was in the back seat with the gun to their head they went they all went in and his daddy told him, I'm not giving you no more money for drugs. I'm not paying your debts no more. You know, that's your problem. So, and them boys tie him up. He tied the owner up inside the building. And they stayed in there all night long doing drugs. And I don't know what they were doing to that man, but he was tied up. Wow. So the next morning, they, they're in there all night doing drugs. The next morning, it's time for everybody to come to work. So when the girl gets there to open the door and she sees what's going on and everything, she gets the alarm button, mm-hmm. which contacts the police. 
So when they figured out she had hit the alarm button, they, you know, jump up and like, get in the car, get in the car, let's go. They jump in the car, put old girl in the trunk, still in her panties, mm-hmm. and they leave out the parking lot. Well, there comes two police officers. They seen that car leaving out that parking lot, so one police officer went after the car. The other police officer went on in the parking lot inside the store. So when they pull this car over, they get the girl out the trunk, they lock up, you can look it up on Google, and I believe that's the same time that Megan and Book together. But, um, Interesting. Yeah, I, I think I might have read about that story a, a long time ago, but I didn't know that's how uh, you said shared a cell with Megan in prison. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's around like the same time. Because I, I can't remember if it was like that June. No, it wasn't June. I meant to say, um, I didn't, I'm not sure if it was that March or April or May. It was like, right, it had to be May because I kept on saying, it ain't been but two months. It ain't been but two months. So I'm thinking it was May that they were locked up together because there was a, a sergeant somebody that uh, Megan had been talking to that wouldn't let her talk to nobody. Hmm. The sergeant woman. I think it's a woman. So that goes to show you right there. She made that girl get naked. Tied, had them boys to tie that man up. It, this woman is literally 115 pounds soaking wet. I could slap her from here to, like, I'm telling you, she don't, she's not nothing. And for a man to be scared of her, I don't understand. Hmm. She must be pretty ruthless then. I don't uh-huh. know. But I do know, like, what I'm saying, that all of that is straight facts. I know yeah. I've seen it on video. Like, we are and everything. Well, so, so, you know, we we've heard people claim that Law enforcement has confirmed that gang uh, wasn't involved, but th- this makes it seem like maybe that was possible. And uh, I know you spoke about a good amount of corruption, so I, you know, I wonder if that is the truth that we're hearing that they weren't involved. I don't know, but I do know that while she was incarcerated, mm-hmm. um, the FBI told us that they went and questioned her, and she took lie detector pills. Okay, so that was true about the polygraphs, then. Okay. That's what. That's what we were told. That's what the FBI told us, that she had been questioned. They had gave her a lie detector test. They were also looking for um, the, uh, what's his name? So the guy to give him polygraph test. I'm hurt a lot. So, but on the FBI is the one that told me about that part. His, his criminal background is as tall as I am. I'm and, like five foot two. And which guy is this? Um, it, oh, yeah, I've, I've, uh, Seen that rap sheet as well. That's extensive. I was like, and some, oh my god, some pretty serious then, crimes on there. They also said that oh that he was like had been like raping the girls in the community mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like I guess like they called Stephanie some her drug lord or whatever. And I guess she was making them girls like prostitute for her, and they get like a certain percentage of it. Like she gets it, but they only get a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. So. Oh. I mean, I don't know how much that's true. Megan didn't tell me that part. So to, so to bring things all the way back around, it's, you know, it's possible maybe Megan tried to talk to the police department about some of this the day she was over there at the substation. She might have. Oh. She might have. I don't know. She said she talked to somebody. Well, the way she talked, she didn't really tell them who had done it. Oh, okay. I see. I don't know if she did or not, but not the way she talked. But I was like, you should just tell them. Telling him it's just like I'm scared. I think she was almost scared that the police had something to do with it. That's herself. That's the way it's 
seemed at times just from from the storyline, but you know, obviously, we don't know for sure. Yeah, right. that, this is all a lot to uh, to try to absorb, but um, I appreciate you giving us this time to tell us. Yeah, I know I'm keeping you on here forever. I'm no, sorry. No, I'm I'm happy to listen. Uh, we just want to try to tell this story as accurately as possible. So I I actually appreciate some of the the answers you've been able to give us. Stuff we've been wondering about all along. So, um, is there more that you want to focus on or say before we close out the interview today? Are you comfortable with what you said, or is there anything else crucial that we should know? Okay, so the FBI had called the family in like a couple months ago and was like, um, pretty much saying like, um, um, I guess with everybody feel, but they kind of made her feel like really, really uncomfortable, whatever, because she said like, I believe the detective in there, and he was pretty much like still talking about a drug overdose, mm-hmm. like. They didn't even have enough of drugs in their system to OD. They weren't even at that limit. Hmm. Yeah. So I, like, I know the medical well, examiner definitely tried to make that argument that that was possible, but that, that is interesting that the detectives keep pushing that narrative of o- overdose. And, and st- then, like, not only that, but, um, like, he was just, like, so rude. That, I don't know. There's something about that detective. Uh, <laughs> and just he was, uh, he was so rude. He was trying to say like, I don't know. Just the way she explained it, it was like he and, kept on trying to cut it short. And like I thought we was coming here and like just go over the autopsy, and then like the medical examiner didn't even come to the meeting, and they were saying one person had done it, but somebody else signed off on it. Hmm, that, so that's confusing. It was just a lot of like wishy washy. Like it didn't make sense to me. Like and, it seems like they don't have it together. And this is detective. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, that's interesting what you say about it not seeming together with the medical examiner because uh, we know that Lumberton Police Department, someone in the Lumberton Police Department, actually requested that they destroy the blanket Kristen was found in, which has always really, uh, you know, interested me why you would destroy evidence or yeah. why someone in the police department would want that done. So between that and the poor attitudes, yeah, it, you know, it does seem like. They have some answers to give. To me, it seems like they'd be on their toes to solve this. And then, like, our sheriff, like, Ernest Wilkins, he's always like, you can't do nothing these days without getting caught by him. And it's like, he wants to take credit for a lot of stuff. But when it comes to those cases, he always says, oh, that's not my district. That's not my district. But he's over the whole county. But why can't he step in and, like, help? If they're so good at everything they do. Yeah, especially with his cold cases initiative, you think he would be all about that. Uh, I also said that Cynthia Jacobs was his uh, wife's sister or something. Huh. I haven't something heard. like that somebody told me. A relative of some sort. That would be the first time I've heard that. It seems like they had shown me. It might be in one of my articles in my book. I'd have to look. You know, honey, I'm... Look and know you where I can be. I swear I have. Yeah. <laughs> and then this is another thing. What bothers me? Maybe this is something more important. Like Megan's body was found on a Saturday, right? Mm-hmm. And Monday morning, Monday morning, <laughs> the city of Wilmington. Okay, let me back up, Olivia. Let's back up to Rhonda. Rhonda was found on like Peachtree Street, right? Yeah. Okay, so I contacted City Hall. 
find out what days the trash run. Well, they were supposed to run on Tuesday and Thursday, and I think Rhonda was found on what, a Tuesday? Tuesday, April 18th, yeah. Okay. Well, trash was supposed to run that morning, but the trash truck couldn't get through because they had the road blocked off because they had found Christina, right? Uh-huh. All right. Well, trash don't come through. The trash truck don't come through that street until, it's, I think it's 11 o'clock in the morning. Well, they haven't found Rhonda yet. You know, they had found Christina early that morning, like 9 or something like that. It might have been 8. It was early. But, you know, they didn't find Rhonda until about 1 o'clock, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well... I called City Hall, and the trash was supposed to run on that street at 11 o'clock. They couldn't get through because they had the road blocked off when they found Rhonda's body before the trash got picked up. I don't think she was ever supposed to be found. So you think whoever put her there was relying on the, the fact that she was picked up on schedule? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then I went to thinking, I said, well, if she was supposed to get picked up by the trash, I said... She was never supposed to be found. And why would they leave Christine in that house like that? Somebody eventually would have found her, eventually. Okay. Well, I went over there and I looked. There's like one place in the middle of those streets where you can span and almost see like both locations. You know what I mean? Like you can't, you yeah. know, you can't like see around the corner. But like if you were like standing over there by the track, Mm-hmm. You can actually, if you stand far enough towards that funeral home, you can actually see both locations. Yeah, you can stare right at the uh, the front porch of the blue house and then the patch of uh, grass and dirt where Rhonda was. Right, yeah. so I was like kind of thinking like, damn, you think it's somebody that lives in one of these houses where they can sit and actually look at the location? Like, Possible, yeah. and it, Yeah, it's... Uh, Odd that Kristen was left there because you, you wonder if they got interrupted or if they had other plans for her as well or if they thought no one would notice her uh, in the home. Yeah, that is interesting. But yeah, I just thought it was weird about how like the trash was supposed to be picked up. If that, if that trash truck would have went through there, they would have probably picked up that trash can. It was a CD of woman some trash can. Mm-hmm. They would have picked it up. And that made me think it was somebody like, and that, like, that knew that, that knew about the trash coming through there or could control that route. Or, you know, I was like, dang, they want to pick up a trash can if they know nobody don't live there and nobody's paying the bill for that trash can. Of course, they're not going to pick it up. But what if it was somebody who could have controlled that? Yeah, somebody in that area that works around there or uh, frequents the spot enough. If you remember a while ago, that get he lives over there, and he works for the city of Lumberton, like he told me. Hmm. See what I'm saying? Yeah, the the one that contacted you. Right. Yeah. So That was the one that said he had information to give, right? Thank you. Right. Yeah. So there you got the trash can. Okay, then what about this? Then Megan's body was found on Saturday. Okay, Monday morning, Monday morning, first thing at 8 o'clock, guess who was out there? Who? The city of Lumberton. Guess what they were doing? They were cutting down the trees from where they found Megan's body. They were cutting the grass. They had a grass blower out there where they found Megan. Why? Why? On Monday morning, first thing Monday morning, as soon as city hallway opens up, they have the whole crew out there cleaning that property. Yeah, you'd, you'd think that would be secure as a crime scene still. And... 
don't that law don't that law, a lawyer own both of those houses or no? He I, don't own both of them. No. I, I know he owns the blue one. I don't know about the one Megan was found next to. I was told that he did own the house, but I, I don't know for sure. It's very possible. I, I would I would see that as mm-hmm. yeah. So they said that he owns both those houses, and I just thought it was so weird that that trash was supposed to be picked up at Tuesday morning, and then Megan was found on a Saturday. They had City Hall out there Monday morning cleaning the scene. And then on Wednesday, was it Tuesday or Wednesday, they called in several counties, surrounding counties, to bring in cadaver dogs and stuff looking for other bodies, right? Mm-hmm. So why did they wait from Saturday to Wednesday and then everything cleaned up over there in that area? I, it didn't make no sense to me, like none at all. Yeah, that's... And then it just didn't make sense to me. Like, the city of Lumberton keeps on coming up. And like I said, it had somebody educating. So all of that didn't, it seemed like it was a settle. Like, they went over there, they had that trash can settled where she used to get picked up. Megan, like, with her, they had the city of Lumberton clean up crew over there. I mean, they were literally, like, cutting down limbs off the trees, picking up old limbs out the yard, any kind of trash, eat everything. They cleaned that property and even had um, grass floors. Like, so if there's anything over there, it ain't there no more. Wow. Or when they were doing it, you know, I know there ain't nothing there now. Yeah. that's. But I just thought that was very odd. Yeah, we, you know, we knew they cut that tree some to remove Megan, but we never knew about the quick cleanup. Yeah, it was that Monday morning. Hmm. That does yeah. seem like a fast turnaround for a... A crime scene that investigators might want to continue to check and out. When I called up there and asked about it, you know what they told me? What? That the neighbors were complaining because they found that body. Mm-hmm. And I said that if you would clean up around the house, you wouldn't have to worry about finding bodies. And that's why they cleaned it up. Wow. But, it ain't, it, but as far as my research, it's not the city of Wilmington's property to clean up. Hmm. It's owned by whoever, so why didn't he clean it up? Or why didn't he hire somebody to clean it up? Why do you have the city of Lumberton out there cleaning it up? It's a good point, yeah. So, mm. to me, that was very odd. And I guess that's one thing that's also stood out to me. Yeah, this is also odd. And, it, you know, every time I found find out a little bit more, it just seems to raise more questions. So, but but, but it seems like this is all, to me at least, I, I feel like you're revealing more connections than not. Right. Yeah. So... But yeah, like in my honest opinion, in my honest opinion, I really think that Rhonda was never supposed to be found. She was supposed to be on a landfill somewhere. Like I believe she was supposed to get picked up by the trash. Because when that woman told me, that's the first thing that came to my mind when I seen that trash can. And I called up there. She was like, "Yeah, everyone over there on Tuesdays and Thursdays, make sure the trash cans by the street." So it was perhaps only by chance that uh, the road got blocked as they discovered Kristen. Right. Wow. So the trash did not make it that day. He did not come down that street that day. Mm. It wasn't until the next day that he picked up that trash. It does make you wonder. Right. So I just thought I would say that in there too because... No, thank you. Yeah, that's a good perspective to have. And everybody, you know, I mentioned it to they're like, God, that, that makes sense. But And the woman told me, you know, make sure the trash can's out of the street. So in my opinion, it's like, well, if the trash can was sitting out there, they would have picked it up. Yeah. And you know, they don't have like the people on the back of the truck. They got the machine that picks it up for them and puts it in the back. Mm-hmm. So they they wouldn't have never seen her. Yeah, I think that's that seems to be what they were relying on, maybe, whoever was responsible. 
Yeah, but that's about it, I guess. Well, a lot to think about. Thank you. I, Yeah, I'm going to have to ponder this for a while. And if you can make any sense of it, you can call me back. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but I would love to know. I swear, I have, I've wanted to call the FBI so many times and tell them that I know that Twister's over there at that railroad track. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I... I really do believe she's over there, though. Yeah, I mean, maybe you should. At least you know you'll get it off your chest, and they'll know. But uh, I don't want to keep you too long. Then, but uh, you know, we we can definitely keep in touch, and you know, keep your contributions anonymous and everything. So if if I do think of anything or find out anything new, I will certainly let you know. I, but it sounds like you you will before me with the, as much as you're keeping up with it. So. Yeah. Yeah, but I've been trying to like I try not let it, you know, get to me too bad. Like my boyfriend gets on me a lot when I'm just going around asking questions. He feels like I'm putting my life in danger. But I try to like, you know I I have a actually I have a friend over there and mm-hmm. I haven't went and talked to him since this happened. But mm-hmm. he's like in the street, like he sells weed over there. And I know that if I went over there and asked him, like, hey, what about them girls they found over here? I know he would know something, something about it. Yeah. Like, because he knows everything that happens over there. So I've wanted to go over there so many times and just ask him, you know, if he knows anything. I was trying to raise awareness because not only have I lost Megan, I also lost another one of our best friends, me and Megan. We had a best friend. Mm-hmm. And she was found in like 2013, I believe. Yeah. Um, they found her right here in Pembroke, and they had like cut her tattoos off while she was alive. She was tortured, oh murdered. I don't need an army. I got me. I don't need a whole bunch of people trying to make me feel better. I don't need to feel better. I just want justice. That's all I'm here for is justice. That's it. So. Same here. Yeah. yeah. Well, you probably heard me say that word a lot during the interview uh, because that was my genuine reaction. I've wanted to hear about so much of that for so long that I really couldn't articulate any uh, in-depth response, which is ironic for someone that hosts a podcast, I know. But let's cover the significant points from what we just heard. Everything alleged in the interview, again, was from an anonymous source in Lumberton, incredibly close to Megan and her family that I've been keeping in contact with uh, for over a year now. So what again do we hear? Megan was attacked by a group and left in the street. Her hair was cut. When she was found, you know, we've always heard her mouth was stuffed with cloth or something like that, but now we're hearing something was lodged inside her throat and that only law enforcement knows um, in hopes they'll be able to connect that to someone with similar knowledge, obviously. Uh, But that's so creepy and straight out of Silence of the Lambs. There are multiple leads in the community being followed up on by the FBI, including that sexist trucker we've heard about. Uh, Let's be real, that had to raise some eyebrows out there. It did for me. We heard about the Russ Bowen reporting secondhand that perhaps uh, the women were missing teeth, which is incredibly odd and, you know, is tied into a little bit of what we heard about the woman called S and her torture routine or torture room. Again, all this being alleged, uh, but the woman called S and her henchmen always come back up, though it still seems their involvement has been debunked based on what we've heard. Again, the idea being that Rhonda and Kristen were punished for stealing drugs from this woman. Uh, 
being killed by her henchmen and Megan also killed for the knowledge of the event. So some of the details we hear though, from the haircutting to the full on torture and the small town drug empire, they keep bringing the woman called S back into my mind. Uh, even if not related to these cases, what a story. There's also the possibility of strategic garbage day collection. Was Rhonda meant to end up in a landfill, never being discovered? Uh, was the same true for Kristen, but she was never moved for some reason? Was there an interruption? What happened? You know, we don't know, but that raises a great point about why she was put there. What was the motivation? We also heard there was some sort of relationship between Cynthia Jacobs and a Lumberton police detective and curious actions from that same detective post Megan's death in that he bought a new home and car immediately after. And of course, there was some family drama that I wouldn't prefer to drag out more. Why? Uh, because imperfect victims and imperfect families still deserve justice. We're all imperfect and it would be a slippery slope to begin deciding who's supported and who's ostracized based on drama and personal struggles. I wish nothing but the best to all the families caught in this web of tragedy, for real. And also, you know, there was that incredibly eerie dream mentioned by the anonymous person we were interviewing, the dream about Cynthia Jacobs without legs, standing on a path near Chippewa Street, her territory, uh, calling out to this person, come here. I can't help but feel this dream as a metaphor for all that's happened. Uh, these cases laid out before all of us is a vision we can't quite understand. We're just left with a sense of foreboding and the feeling that this investigation was cut off at the legs before it ever got started. Maybe by negligence, maybe by corruption, maybe by a killer or killers that continue to evade us, maybe all of the above. If you have any information about the cases we've discussed, please contact the FBI Charlotte Field Office and reach out to us at darkwaterpod at gmail.com or 919-307-9331. Again, that's darkwaterpod at gmail.com or 919-307-9331. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. I mean it. We'll be back for our final Season 1 Q&A episode later this month.